a period of questions open uh, if anyone would like to ask. Uh, you, you are. Hey, is it working? It's working. Um, so I have a question about primary emitters, and uh, you've talked about satellite states a few times. Um, so last night as I was practicing um, with my base practice, it didn't feel like there were primary emitters of PT or Sukha around initially just with the base practice. Uh, then after a while, I noticed a sense of, of uh, physical well-being in the body, um, which didn't exactly feel like PT as I'd been used to, it, and it didn't really feel like happiness either. It, it was more of a physical, gentle calm. Um, but that was what was, uh, what was around, so I sort of tried to absorb into it, and that worked to, to some degree. There was quite a lot of sort of... Um, yeah, just absorption into that state. Um, but it didn't feel like jhanic in the ways that, that other states have felt before. And so then I started thinking, is this some kind of uh, satellite state? Um, do all of the jhanas have satellite states? And then, uh, then I also thought perhaps this is another kind of PT which I haven't... Um, you know, it's a sense of physical well-being, but it just didn't fit the box of how I've conceived of PT before. Um, and also some questions around um, primary nimitters so that you've encouraged us that that needs to be, the primary nimitter needs to be what we want to be focusing on in jhana practice. Uh, and I began to wonder why is that? Um, like in, you know, if love is one of the um, characteristics of the second jhana, for example, what happens uh, why, why do you not encourage people, us, us, to sort of focus on those, those aspects? And then also some questions around soul-making, where you talk about an infinitude of qualities that we can theoretically absorb into. So that was sort of, uh, it's not one question, but just sort of an exploration of those uh, themes. Yeah. Um, well, how nice was it? Like um, it was it was um, it was nicer than any hindrances. Um, <laughs> it, it wasn't um, so nicer it, than. I, I think it could have been a bit brighter, perhaps. Uh, it, it felt a little bit sort of uh, low energy, maybe. The, the the pleasure could have been brighter. Yeah, the 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 pleasure or the state. Yeah, yeah, the state itself. Okay. Yeah. So um, it doesn't sound. Again, it's like when when to fuss over is it isn't it? You know, um, but that's kind of partly what you're asking. Um, so it doesn't sound jarnic, you know. Um, and yes, there are lots. Of the, the the nature of the PT will change over time, and 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 
it will certainly change, as I said, after you've got more into the third, fourth, etc. They really have a, a sort of um, effect on the PT. Um, but the PTs, they have an effect, but it's still like really yummy, you know. Um, it's not just they make it kind of like, mm. um, it's actually, it's really nice. It's just, it's just different, you know, it's mellower, but, but really, really nice. Um, and so, yes, probably there are, we could talk about satellite states or s states in the neighborhood. I'm not sure I would call that a satellite state or a state in the neighborhood. Um, I'll talk hopefully in the next few days about different kinds of satellite states where they're really like, there's this very clear, amazing state, and there's this very clear, amazing state, and there's this very clear, amazing state, and there they have some things really in common, as if they're part of a larger constellation. In a way, um, what it sounds like you're talking about is something just where some of the jhana factors are a little bit gathered together, but not really in a way that they're really blossoming. You know, so I don't know. Strictly speaking, I would call that satellite state, but it's it's in a certain territory. The question, practically, then is, do I is this is this um, fruitful to ha hang out in that? Um, and obviously, compared to papancha and compared to you know whatever else, it, it's fr it's skillful, it's fruitful. Is it going to be fruitful in the way that it? I can hang out in it, and the way that I'm hanging out with it allows it to blossom into an actual jhanic state of, say, peacefulness or something like that. Um, that takes, you know, so as I said, when I talked about the third jhana, it's, it's, um, it's much a, a much more safer bet to go through the happiness and really drink and, and you know. Um, it's not to say that it's impossible the other way, with just there's this kind of nice calm feeling. Let's go. It's not that it's impossible, and it's worth it's worth playing with and trying, you know. But generally speaking, it will be more the other way from a really ripe, full, fleshy satisfaction. It, it, it didn't feel like how I would uh, think the third genre would feel. Yeah. It, it, it was a lot. It wasn't refined in that way. Yeah. It was sort of the similar yeah. level of refinement as PT, yeah, but exactly. just without the the sort of movement and energy. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't sound at all like the third jhana. And um, so a lot, a lot of people, it would be very common, to, we've talked about this several times now, to mistake a kind of sense of calmness, maybe even one that they're familiar with, deep peacefulness, very quiet mind, etc., for the for that territory. But, but the question is whether the way that I'm being with it can refine it. Okay, so it didn't feel refined, but the question is, can I be with it in a way that refines it? It, it is possible, but that's going to depend on a lot of things. Partly, it will depend on I, if I if I don't really if if I really have a lot of experience with the third jhana, then the chances of a state like that refining into the third jhana are much much higher. If I don't really have much experience with the third jhana, the chances of a state and I mean the real the, the real third jhana deal. If I don't have much experience with that, then the chances of a state like that refining and ripening just through careful t won't that it's not impossible but it's not very high um rather it w it would it's much more likely to ripen through the, s the second genre etc and that real fullness and really really getting into it and yeah as for the other secondary limiters 
you know, none of this is black and white. It's, it's a, of course, there's a lovely love there, of course, you, you're going to want to explore that. And it's just that if you make that your primary thing, it won't then, it will ripen in something else. It will go in a different direction. So, so what we pay attention to is, is what uh, gets amplified, but it also then uh, sets a direction. Yeah? So that's the reason. If, if, if we were on a, a retreat about um, you know, exploring meta and different heart openings and, and uh, different um, kinds of love and that kind of thing, then of course we would do that. But because we're on a jhana retreat, we want to, it's really something to keep this intention. It's like, okay, this is my road. Yes, there are lots of interesting things at the side of the road and I can explore all that, but I need to remember this is my road if we want to develop the jhanas. Um, as to soul making, yeah, there's there's an infinitude of that. What was the question with that? There's an infinitude of of different states and lovely things and different openings and. Yeah, I guess the question is um, that we're sort of selecting in the jhana path. Uh, there's very specific, yeah. very specific trajectory which you you know just talking about, um, and then there's a curiosity of what, what are the outcomes? Like, what, how, how does it unfold if one begins to um, absorb into these other qualities? Like, sometimes in the second jhana, there's a sense, or just in the sitting, there's a sense of nobility, for example. Mm -hmm. And then that would be more of an imaginal practice of, of, of taking that as an object or, or, or feeling the resonance of that. It may or um, may not be a fully imaginal practice. Yeah. Um, it could just be an energetic practice. So, you know, we did a thing on, was it on the opening evening? And just uh, getting in touch with the sort of sense of devotion. Do you remember that? Um, something like that. It's very skillful. Lawrence mentioned working with anger, then it goes to power. Um, so those things are emotional, energetic uh, practices, transformations, they don't necessarily need to be imaginable. For something to be imaginable, it involves a lot of different things happening. Um, yeah, all of, all of these fruits are there, but like I said, it's, it's, do we, what do we want to do? You know, and, and it's not better or worse because, um, for some person, um, actually being able to feel into their devotion that's connected with their desire that way and actually feel it in the energy body and let that empower them, that's huge. For another person, um, well like what Lawrence was talking about, the ability to have, to take, you know, to be with an anger uh, in a way that's not fragmenting the being, driving them crazy, you know, uh, hurting everyone around them, toxic, etc. to actually distill that in the alchemical vessel, actually let's not use that word, distill that energetically, emotionally, and and find the power and strength there that everything coheres around it, and then sit in that, and, and kind of a act from there, speak from there, be from there, perceive from there, that's huge, you know, those things are huge. So you, again, you have to, we have to really, really get clear what is the larger context of what we're doing here. And to me, it, the larger context of what we're doing here, as I said in the opening, it sits within all these other practices and feeds and complements all of them and is, and is fed and complemented by all of them. But it's also distinct. And, and if we're walking down this road, there's all sorts of look at that lovely pear on that tree. Oh, and look at that over there. And it's fantastic. Um, in, the, in the context of our larger life of practice, yes, we can go, go and go to that. And then there's a side road down where the apple orchard is or whatever it is, you know. Brilliant. But 
jhanas won't deepen unless that intention is, is really, this is my road, this is my road, this is my road. It doesn't mean you can't have a few apples and pears on the way, but um, there's something a, a, about, about keeping it that way. To deepen in jhanas, you know. Um, but yeah, there's more potential riches and openings than anyone can ever experience in their whole lifetime, whoever you are. Um, and that's the thing, especially when you get talking about soul, m- no, I mean, I mean that when we talk about soul making. So there's things that are just kind of part of what I would call basic Dharma training, by which I mean things like working with anger that way, things like being able to be with my, get a sense of my nobility and, and that's energized in the heart and it affects my sense of self and it affects my life. Things like being with the sense of devotion and letting that empower, things like working with the emotions, emptiness, da da da, all that. But and that's all kind of, you know, a very large plate of stuff to get through in terms of basic Dharma practices. Very possible. But once you get to soul making, it becomes infinite. By the nature of what the soul making dynamic does, it will always create new openings, new states, new perceptions, new territory, new beyonds, new. Uh, uh, it will create and discover new, new aspects of reality, which, which one then. So. So there's a kind of distinction there, um, but but I guess the, the the what I was just calling the the sort of the tray or the plate of basic Dharma practice uh, it's probably quite wide compared to m- maybe compared to some o- other sort of presentations, but it but it's definitely possible and that's something that one can do in a lifetime. Soul making you'll never get to the end of it. Emptiness you can get to the end of. Jhana you know etc. But does that make sense? Yes, thank you. Okay. Um, maybe just a, a, not a question, but a request. Earlier on in the retreat, you were saying that you were going to talk about soul making and that the relationship of that to the jhanas. You mentioned you had something, and then um, uh, not as a big topic, certainly not. But okay. um, maybe it was one little thing which I've probably noted somewhere yeah, to, okay. to come later. Yeah, but not not as a whole big thing. No. Okay. Um, I don't think so. No. Okay. I, it would be too much. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <coughs> so, um, Hannah, yes, please. I wanted to ask about the difference between PT and Sukha. I got more used to um, PT yesterday and today. And um, it really opens, almost opens up like, like an egg shape around the body that kind of pulsates in the same texture or vibration. And it felt it was becoming more subtler and more refined in a way. And if I compare this to the sukha, which is still very wild and like I have to laugh sometimes like loud and I don't feel the sukha is more refined as the PT. And I just wanted to make sure if this is still something that can happen. Do you mean by refined karma? No. Okay. Maybe it could be a language barrier. I thought about this as well. I, I thought about the 
this this cloth that gets more fine. <laughs> Auf Deutsch. But but the the so what you're using for refinement the word refinement in in German would be finer, like in English finer, right? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, all, all I can say is it's early days yet, and um, you know that's the thing about these post-it notes. So um, it may be that it may be that um, at first the experience of the sukkah is is just of a certain bandwidth of sukkah with a lot of bubbliness, which it sounds like, um, and uh, I don't quite know from your description what you what you're describing as PT. So the egg shape thing should be there in every jhana because that's just part of what it is to have an extended energy body and as the Buddha says, pervading and permeating, pervading, saturating. So that's, that's neither here nor there. That goes with anything. Um, it, it is very much the case that there is a whole bandwidth for, for each jhana. So there's a bandwidth of PT in terms of uh, yeah, refinement, possibility, and, and even calmness, etc. And also with the sukkha. So just from what you've said, it's hard to, it's hard to say, but... I think it's good just to keep the exploration open. So um, as you get more into the sukkah and more into what you're calling PT, maybe it, it starts to get clearer what, what the differences are and you can discern a little bit. Um, but other than that, from what you said, I'm not quite sure what else to say. Um, they're both nice. Yeah. Yeah, great. So no problem there. Just okay. keep just keep exploring, and it's almost like the more familiar we become with the with the kind of states we we tend to open up into. When we visit them, the more it becomes clearer what the distinctions are for us, and m maybe that's all that needs to happen really at this point. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I just yeah I wanted to make sure if I'm still on the right track. Um, so. Very probably you are, um, but. Um, you know, again, I would say provisionally from a teaching point of view, if you think, oh, have I now gone in my first journal, have I skipped and I'm calling something that's actually the beginnings of the third genre, am I still calling that the first genre, and then I'm calling the sukkah something else? Do you see what I mean? If it if that's a concern, though, I would check with the emotion because the emotion in the sukkah is going to be primarily this very warm, tender, exquisite uh, peacefulness or, or satisfaction or wh whatever it is, depending on the level. But you're shaking your head, so it sounds like it's not that. No, the emotion is clear. It's more the refinement that I was concerned about. Okay, yeah. So I, I don't know other than just, just hang out in both. You know, lots, okay. lots and lots, and, and hopefully it will get clear. It should get clear, yeah. But, you know, don't, don't rush all these things. Pro probably everyone's got kind of post-it notes still at this point, and, uh, and that's appropriate, you know. Um, things mature, things change. We notice different territories. We notice more as time goes on, yeah. So it's all, it, it's basically, it's really nice. You're enjoying it. And it's just asking you to get more and more familiar with it, and then it will it will get clearer. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Good. Thank you. Yeah. Sure. There was some here, uh, Andy. Yeah. 
Um, so I have a question about um, going from second to third. Um, sometimes it feels like, especially if it's come from quite a kind of bubbly end of second, that when I get into third, it's like coming from a really bright place into a darkened room. Uh, where, like, it's kind of hard first to sort of make out, you know, the, the kind of the nuances of, of third. Because it's like, okay, right, and it feels peaceful, but there's, I haven't yet seen the kind of the crystal clarity or the, the tenderness or the divinity or, or those qualities. And I've found that sometimes I actually end up in a space a bit like what you were saying, which is not really yeah. what I thought it was. Yeah. So it's like, you're like, oh, okay, well, that's not, it's not quite the, the kind of deep, dark pool of third. So, yeah, what would you recommend at that point? Is it just better to go back or um, try and refine? You could go back because, yeah, probably that place that you're describing that's not quite it is, 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 is as I said, one of these, not hangovers, but um, habit results of your insight practice over the years. You know, it's a state of relative equanimity and quietness. And the mind has got quite used to that. So you're, you're ending up in that. Um, so one thing you could do is come back to the second. And um, uh, it, maybe, maybe you could even start feeling the drinking of the happiness as satisfying, as, as, as a verb in, in, in present tense. You understand? Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that will take you, for instance, to the then satisfied. So you're, you're tuning a little bit more to something more, more specific, yeah? D does that, that's more related to the third, yeah? yeah? So that's one option. Another option might be, or should be with time, that you can, you know, a lot of this, again, it just starts to become memory and subtle intention, so that what you're remembering um, and, and again, if it feels mature, if it's at that point where it's actually mature to do this, you're actually remembering the whole set of qualities of the third jhana, that whole gorgeous, realm-like, exquisite, um, using divine and that sort of th those sort of words. You're actually remembering that flavor, and you bring that. Y you actually go there, but try going there by memory. You know of those things, yeah. Um, so does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So it's really, uh, it, it's really a realm that you're remembering almost, and as opposed to just hanging out, because there's y because you've been practicing so long, there's probably a lot of momentum and habitual momentum to get into these other states that are, you know, as we've been saying, relatively skillful, relatively equanimous, relatively peaceful, relatively non-eventful, etc. They're all it's all good, but um if you if you if you want to make sure you don't bypass you know bypass the actual uh, third jhana which by this point you can see the qualitative difference is you know quite marked um then then you uh <coughs> then you have to have to aim aim a little more yeah okay. either in the process of the second jhana uh, with the satisfying satisfying you see you see what you're doing there you're you're actually inclining the mind towards a certain emotion in the present whose fulfillment is the third jhana. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, or, as I said, you're r remembering a whole realm or other aspects of the realm apart from the fact that there's equanimity and peace there. You know, 
the the does that make sense? And you can, it may not be ready for that, but it but it may be getting there. You know, we have to see. Um, but that's part of the whole mastery deal. And and it, you can maybe remember that when it's going well in the second jhana, you can maybe just lightly, subtly intend to remember that. Okay. Does that? Yeah. No, that's really helpful. Good. Okay. Um, I just want to ask one more thing about. Um, so uh, yesterday I was sitting with a, a really bright, bubbly, quite silly actually happiness in. In, in second, and just really enjoying it. And then suddenly, this spontaneous not-me-not-mine came out of it, just completely from nowhere. It was really surprising. And so then I had this happiness that wasn't about anything and didn't belong to anybody. And it had this kind of... It was just really wonderful, magical... Um, just like, wow, that's... And I just wanted to know whether there was anything worth exploring there or whether I should shelve that for later. Um... I think that probably to some to some degree or other or, or other um there is less self identification with the happiness in the territory of the second jhana so usually when we're happy um it's connected to a story and quite a more fabricated sense of self who is feeling very happy about something or other and there's a whole projection in time and with one's life and, and all that's going, even if I'm not thinking and thinking and thinking, that's all there. It's all being fabricated to a certain extent, the self and, and then taking this happiness personally. Does this make sense? In the second jhana, naturally, the, which I'll get to in the next couple of days, um, the self is, I- as we go through the jhana, the self is less and less fabricated maybe modify that statement at some point, but it's less and less fabricated. So in the second jhana, there's very little personality, there's very little story, there's very little background history and where I'm going and what I want and the whole the whole rest of it. Yeah. There's even very little psychological history, kind of. It's just happiness. So already to a certain extent there's there's a kind of to some degree or other there's a sort of it's not it's not me or mine in the same way that it would be for the usual sense of self. Do you, do you understand? So it might be just that you're part. part it, this is something we kind of notice as, as it goes on anyway. And but because it's a little less identified, then it lends itself more to to being seen as less identified. And you have a history of not me, not mine practice of anatta of disidentifying. So it just kind of piggybacks on, on that. If um, or rather, it's available as a practice, and again, I hope to talk about this at some point, and maybe even a few times on this retreat, we um, turn an insight way of looking onto a jhana, in, or I say it this way, the jhana itself, or the primary nimitta, becomes an object for an insight way of looking. So that, I, I wouldn't recommend that to anyone at this point, um, it's a whole other level of skill and um, art. and But one can then regard this or that jhana, the whole thing or one aspect of it, as not me, not mine, not me, not mine. And that becomes a super powerful practice. Um, if you stay, you have to stay with it, stay with it, stay with it, and see what happens. But I wouldn't do that before jhana, before you really know that jhana inside out and it's really got established. Again, if you if you do that t- 
too early, so to speak, you risk being the foolish, inexperienced cow kind of thing uh, that the Buddha was talking about. It will probably just slide over the all over without kind of knowing where you are and then you might lose control. So we really want uh, the jhanas itself to be consolidated, thoroughly familiar, thoroughly steady and established. And then for some people, they can start doing their insight ways of looking on the jhana itself. And that, as I said, is a um, both very lovely but super powerful way of practicing. But I will talk, try and talk more about that another time. Yeah. That Thanks. Yeah, good. Good. I think Mikael had one, yeah. <coughs> yeah, thank you. Um, I have a, a quick technical question um, about steadiness and enjoyment. What to do when it seems that when I emphasize steadiness, I start to lose? Uh, somehow the capacity to enjoy and when I emphasize enjoyment I lose my steadiness and and mind gets uh, starts easier easier uh, easily wandering uh, they they seem somehow close each one out uh, to some extent uh, so what could be what, the what exactly happens when you Emphasize the enjoyment. Um, when why? Well, <coughs> um, my way to emphasize enjoyment generally is uh, to open and open and open to the enjoyment and really let go and somehow fall into the lap of, say, happiness or pity or something, or really like let go and let the whole consciousness end and energy body sense open and and I just fall somehow into the arms of of the Nimitta. Um, yeah. I wondered if this yeah. really opening, opening, opening strategy is actually causing some like I'm opening it's kind of like too much. Well um yeah, thank you for saying that. So this is so individual and can change with time, but just immediately when you say that um, it sounds like y you're, you know, you can't open too much, but what you can do is open too much relative to how much probing you're doing. Yeah. So there's no there's no end to how much you can open. I, I'm not. I don't think there is. We're infinitely infinitely deep human beings. We can just open and open. But relative to how much penetration and probing you're doing that so that when you can hear it in in the way your language it Mikhail, when you're doing that you're kind of going into a quite a passive mode yeah and that's the problem okay whereas when you're penetrating and probing with the uh intention the agenda of enjoying then it's really like you're they go together the the enjoyment and the sustaining go go together you understand? So it sounds like in for you right now, in the mix of things, are upping the, penet the penetrative probing with the enjoyment. Yeah. yeah. In in the mix, um, for other people, for a lot of people, y you know, it's more opening that needs to happen. I said this already. People can think, oh, but but I am opening, but actually they're not. One isn't opening as much as one could. 
Um, but one's so used to only a limited amount of opening in the being that one thinks, well, I'm opening. But actually there's more opening to, to be able to do there. So all this is very individual. Uh, but if you keep in mind, you know, there's lots of modes of attention. But if you keep in mind these two sort of principles, sort of one's a bit more yang, if you like, and one's a bit more yin, one's a bit more active, one's a bit more passive or receptive. If you just keep that in mind and the necessity to play with both, and to move around, then the question becomes, um, well, there may not be questions, it's all going fine, or it might be like, am I overdoing it a little bit right now on one or the other? And right now might be, you know, for the six months, I've gotten into a, a habit of overdoing on one side or the other, or it might be just in this moment or this five minutes or whatever. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when, when, you, when you probe, there's no... There's no um, mutual exclusivity between enjoying and sustaining. You c if I'm just, I'm probing, trying to enjoy to the max, I will, I will obviously try and sustain. It's like, of course. But if I go into too receptive a mode, then everything gets a bit loose and it's I'm almost, I expect, I expect, uh, you know, I'm not doing any work. I'm not, I'm not really working there. I'm uh, expecting everything to happen. Yeah. But again, this is an answer I'm giving you right now and for someone else it might be that, that what's needed is is the other one, and oftentimes without without realizing it or recognizing that's what's needed. Yeah, thank you. Um, would you say generally that steadiness um, arises out of the balance of opening and probing when 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 it really hits the sweet spot of opening and probing at the moment at the limit uh, at at the context of the practice? That's where the steadiness arises. I'm not sure. I feel a bit mm, hesitant to say that. Okay. Um, the, pro the probing and the opening thing is a very fluid, responsive, sort of un unformulaic thing. So really, we were just saying the most general thing, like don't, don't, don't neglect one for the sake of the other. You know. So I'm not sure there's a sweet spot per se. It's not uh, as as much as just, you know, the whole that whole movement is not only going to help sustaining, it's going to help deepening, it's going to help uh, absorbing, it's going to help all, all kinds of things. It's just, it's, if you go back to the Buddha's original image of, of or rather the image for the, the soap uh, mixer wi with the first jhana, you know, it's quite active. You're, you're kind of mixing some. There's something about moving between those modes that's also part of mixing. And, and in a way, that applies to the other jhanas as well, in a way. Or, or at a much subtler level. So I don't know. That's just about sustaining as much as the whole the whole show is just w um, worked better. It's like kneading ne kneading bread, you know, wor working it in the flour and uh, yeah. All right. Thank you. Good. Yeah. Um, is that Nick back there? Yeah, it's just um, related to part of that question about the um, probing and the receptivity. I mean, you just called it pa passive as well as the more active um, being with the nimitta. So I've just really noticed, like, I'm naturally, I'm just much more receptive. That's where my, that the opening comes much more naturally. So with the PT, it's really opening to that. And I've been really trying to... Um, yeah, develop a sense of what what the probing is like. It's it's it, it's unfamiliar to me, um, 
And what I found, like several times when I've, so I've taken a part of the energy body which has felt particularly strong in PT, and really put my concentration there and, and probe that. And what tends to happen, like immediately, that it op- there's an opening, and the so the um, the sense in the energy body then is the probing goes almost immediately into a, an, an it's like the sensation there just opens right up quite big um, and I feel like I've lost the probing already and I don't know if this is just because I'm not very good at it yet or if that's something that happens when you probe into anything it there's space in there and that's what you kind of fall into so I'm I'm yeah a little bit confused about how to work with that yeah thank you um yeah it's I think it's very normal and and that's where you use that image of like, imagine someone diving into a lake and that's a probing movement. That body becomes kind of stre- streamlined in its shape if, they're, if you're diving and not just sort of s- splattering into the lake. Um, if you're diving, there's this streamlined probing of one point in the water, but then very quickly you find yourself surrounded by water. The whole, the p- you aimed at a point, but then it got, then it was like, oh, now I'm in a new territory. So that may happen, as you're describing, very quickly, or it may happen at some point wh- when you're probing. Um, very normal, but then you can just do the same thing again. So it's not like you're getting it wrong. You can just, okay, same again, same again, same again. And it's not like, right, same again, immediately, quick, don't, don't lose any time. You know, it's, it, the whole thing's just like, what, what, you know, what feels helpful right now. Uh, and so if it feels good, great. And then you may try doing, doing it again and again and again. Uh, or you may at some point switch to a more open mode, you know. So there's not, you know, it's not that we're trying to kind of eliminate any, or any gaps in the, in the probing or, or any, do you understand? If, if it's opening that way, something is working. Does this make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, does it mean that you can't, like, you can't sustain the probe in one mm-hmm. area, that it just won't sustain, and but you you can go back a bit later and probe somewhere else, it, or or can you stay well much more? Probing? Let's let's take this person who dives into a lake. Yeah, they dive, and they, and and they dive, and then they're underwater, and it's all around them. They could, if they want, just keep going in the same direction. Within, they're in a bigger space, but they could just keep going in the same direction. It's something like that. Yeah, okay. that their their perception is of a rather than a spot that they're aiming at. I'm aiming to dive right on that spot in the water. Um, their perception is now it's 3D around me, you know, but I can keep going in the same direction. So it's more like a direction. Than yeah. 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 Something yeah. like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Nicole? Uh, Jason? <laughs> Nicole? <laughs> Do you want to toss a coin? Uh, um, I'm wondering about the kind of spectrum between PT and Sukha, because um, I've been exploring the really, really subtle, fine end of PT, like where it's just like, just really l- beautiful, tiny explosions and loving it and then when there are times and I'm less familiar with the sukha 
Um, but there are times when I'm in that bubbly, really bubbly energy that that feels much more, um, has much more um, PT in it than say the fine end of PT does. And I've been kind of playing with crossfading PT and Sukha. And so it seems as almost like PT has this is here, like if that's the PT spectrum and then like the second jhana spectrum is here as though you can almost go finer in PT than you might at the top of the, se- of the, sec- of the second jhana. Does this make sense? Or? Not quite, and I couldn't quite see what you're doing with your hands there. But, um, no, it's okay. <laughs> can I say, say something and see if it, if it helps? Yeah. And if not, we'll try again? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so there is a spectrum of refinement across all the jhanas. I said the eighth jhana is just unbelievably refined, you know, compared to, well, actually compared to any of the others, but compared to the first, certainly. Um, And so there's that spectrum of refinement. Then there's a spectrum of refinement. um, Well, again, it's maybe these words subtlety and refinement that get a a bit confused. So I would probably say it's not so much, it's, there's a spectrum of, um, let's use the word calming and refinement differently. And, and what gets confusing is maybe the word subtlety. So that there's a, spec, there's a spectrum of calm, uh, calming sukha, for instance, through the second jhana, you know, and there's a, there's a spectrum of calming the peacefulness and the sukha in the third jhana as it gets towards the fourth jhana, you know, all that. In the first jhana, it's like, yeah, although PT has a large range, in a way it's not that the deeper end of PT has a subtler, has a subtler or, or, or more refined PT. So that's, what, if I said anything, and I probably wasn't that clear because I think these words are getting slightly overlapped and confused and I'm perhaps not being consistent with using them. The thing about subtle PT is just that if that's all there is, then we need to be good with that and be able to work with it. Um, and kind of really okay with that. Yeah, no, I'm, I've been loving subtle PT. It feels it's like incredible. Uh, okay, can I just say one, one more thing? So, so what? I was, so that's all we need to do. If you're loving it and you can work with it and you can get into it, and great, fine, tick. You know, you've passed that particular thing. And generally speaking, then is like if I've got all the other elements of mastery of PT, then I really want to just be getting into the PT, no matter how strong it is, until it just goes to the second jhana, rather than keeping it at a, a subtle uh, re- or what you're calling refined state. Do you understand? It's like let's just do this thing until it until it um, gives birth to to the sukha, and then and then we're going with the sukha. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. D- it was. Yeah, there, uh, yeah, it was more of it was kind of like a nerdy question more than oh. a problem, really. Okay. Which was because that I think that happened, and I can tell the difference of refinement and the quality between the PT and the suka. They feel the bodily sensation of them feel yeah, different, good. and that seems clear good. to me. It just seems like there's, um, like, uh, yeah, it's like like there's um, yeah, go ahead. Um, th- th- there is probably all all kinds of like nerdy your word, um, c- corners we could get interested in and all that. But um, in terms of like, okay, what do we want to do on this retreat? You know, um, it may well be it's time for the second and really, really ripening into that and really getting into that. And then maybe sometime later you can come back and explore this uh, 
level, you know, in terms of priorities of, of w yeah, so, um, yeah, it may well be, and, and there's all kinds of interesting things, and that's great, but it just in terms of like setting our priorities, it, it might be that it's ripe now, and, and this would be a kind of, you're just holding yourself back a little bit unnecessarily, and we want to kind of move on. So that sounds like to me, but. I, I've developed two habits in my um, working with PT that I wanted to check out with you and just make sure I'm not veering off course. The first is um, because the I think I'm not so good at probing without probing too hard and kind of turning it into kind of uh, what was the word the Buddha used? Snatching. Snatch. Yeah. I, I, f I find myself kind of like like micro probing just for a second, like oh, pleasure over here, pleasure over there, pleasure over here. Uh, and what what can the being do to maximize it just for a split second here or there? Does that feel like a suitable substitute? Should I work on the way you describe it more? I would my intuition would be no. It, it, it probably wouldn't really cohere that way, and it would be much more useful, and probably useful in your life as well, um, to be able to really sustain a kind of probing intensity without it kind of being too tight. Okay. You know, so there's a jhanic skill here, but there's probably a, a mirroring on a life level of also like, what is it to really be able to focus on something and sustain that effort and sustain intensity without it being problematic, you know? Um, but really, having said what my intuitive sense would be, I, I would, I should have first said, well, how does it work? Does it work well? Does it? It has resulted in jhana, okay. in first jhana, a few times. But not uh, so consistent, or it feels like? It's probably the most useful thing so far, but I haven't had a whole lot of, I don't feel super successful about, like, yeah. attaining jhana on this retreat compared to my expectations in the past? Yeah, so um, you could do it sometimes and, and also think about developing the capacity to, to, to probe, be very directed, be intense without it being uh, a kind of problematic grasping, yeah. you know, and, that, that, and view that as something that you could develop. But, but don't give up this because, y as you said, it's it's been successful sometimes. So okay. in the end, we want to find out what works best for you. You know, no matter what I say or anyone else, it's really what works best for you. But if you've got nothing to compare it to, then you're not actually going to know. Is this is this is this the optimal thing for me? This this method, or actually is it, you know, second or even fifth best, or you know, so. Um, and there may well be, like a lot of these things, when we talk about opening, when we talk about hanging out, and there's, there's fruits here that may be um, to developing certain ways of working that may be worth more than the, the jhana, yeah. yeah, in terms of life, in terms of desire, in terms of capacity to be intense sometimes in life and sustain that without, you know. Um, so some of these things are much more significant than whether or not I get into the first jhana or whatever it is, which, you know. Um, so yeah, there's different different levels here, but but tr try 
try you know try a few things and it may well be that what you're describing actually is um you know is your method and it works fine no matter what anyone else says and yeah you but you don't know yet because you haven't tried enough yeah okay cool and the other thing that i'm that i find myself doing uh you've you've said maximize the pleasure and i think because of all my insight practice i notice that my attention goes so easily to pain maybe it's just being a human um, what I noticed myself doing yesterday was, um, how can I, f- how could this not hurt like this place of pain? Cause when the jhana comes, gross pain pretty much just goes away. Uh, and, and what I was finding yesterday was that focusing on a spot where there is pain, uh, the pain would go down just from the attention uh, I guess there's a certain degree of letting go in the way that attention is. That I'm not sure. It doesn't really seem synonymous with focus on pleasure or maximize the pleasure. And I'm just wondering your thoughts on that. Um, well, there's two things. First of all, I, I I didn't say maximize the pleasure. I said okay. maximize the enjoyment. enjoyment. Well, they're, they're very different, uh, right? Well. Pleasure is in, in the object. Enjoyment is in my relationship with the object. Do you understand the difference? Is that clear? That's really important. That's helpful. That's really important. Um, then, then just now you said focus on the pleasure, and that was an instruction at some at some points, you know, because what we are trained in, maybe just as human beings or habitually, may, and certainly as insight meditators, is um, is paying attention to the unpleasant and the difficult. Um, and most. Mostly, that's what most people spend most of their insight meditation retreats doing, is paying attention to what's difficult in wha- in one way or another. And there's a real encouragement to that, uh, given for that, and developing of willingness, etc. Um, so when you come to jhana practice, you realize that sometimes what you can choose to do is focus on the pleasant. In when there's unpleasant and pleasant, you can focus on the pleasant. You can choose to do that. And in doing that, you can learn all sorts of things. Not just about the tendency of the mind. Actually, it's really hard because I, I keep, the mind keeps wanting to go to the unpleasant. Um, you must say, why don't you just stay there? It just will go there. So there's, there's something to learn about the tendency and habit patterns of the mind. But there's also, again, something to learn about dependent arising. Sometimes when I focus on the pleasant, that pleasant amplifies and it takes over and the unpleasant disappears. What's going on? What do I need to understand about perception there? So there's, there's at least two things to understand, if that's the case. One is just a jhanic skill. That if, I, if I want to develop in samadhi, I'm, m- there are many occasions when it will be more helpful to focus on the pleasant and not the unpleasant. There's a life skill in that, but there's also a samadhi meditative skill in that. Um, but then there's uh, another level that has to do with dependent arising, dependent arising of perception. How is it that this pain that has been there for however long disappeared, uh, was unfabricated when I, when I looked at the pleasant? Really, really important. Then there's a third option or a third category, which is, as you, as you said, sometimes I bring the attention to the unpleasant and the unpleasant disappears. Okay. Just bringing attention to it makes it disappear. No. A certain kind. 
that's the thing, is a certain kind of attention. Because I can certainly bring, this is, this is the thing, we talk about mindfulness as if mindfulness is just mindfulness, and it's a pure thing. You bring mindfulness to this, you bring mindfulness to that. We don't. We bring mindfulness plus about a hundred other things. Maybe not a hundred, but we bring, we bring mindfulness plus intention, plus relationship, plus subtle aversion or grasping or not, plus equanimity, plus meta, plus self-view, plus reality view, plus all this is in a moment of pure so-called bare attention. It's not bare at all. There's no such thing. Do, do you understand this? This is really, really important. So what you find is sometimes I bring attention to a pain and it makes it worse because there's more aversion wrapped up or there's a certain view or there's a certain time view. How much longer? or whatever it is, or a certain reality view, all kinds of things. What's, what's wrapped up in the mindfulness in that, in that moment, or while I'm looking at it, is actually just fabricating more unpleasantness. Other times, one looks and uh, brings an attention, and what's wrapped up in that attention, or what's absent from that attention, allows it to unfabric allows the pain to unfabricate. And other times you bring it, it just stays the same. Whatever's in the, in the mix of mindfulness is kind of just <laughs> holding it sort of at, at a level point. The two, two important things. One is to realize this. You know, there's an old teaching. I remember a teacher saying, if you um, pay attention to a pain, three things could happen. It could uh, go away. It could get worse. Or it could stay the same. And the te- what's, the, what's the insight there? In, th- in that, the insight was, you can't do anything about it, just put up with it. In other words, you're not in control of pain. This isn't my teaching, this, I'm talking about some, have you heard this before, have you heard anyone say that? It doesn't matter, anyway. Um, what we're saying here is, can I realize two things that are extremely significant? Um, a, that there isn't such a thing as bare attention or pure mindfulness. And how do I know that? Because I start, ex- I'll talk, try and talk about this tomorrow, because I start experimenting with um, noticing what else is in the mindfulness and then changing what else is in the mindfulness, playing with what else is in the mindfulness. And that equates as playing with perception. Okay, what, I- what is it to have a mindfulness that has much less aversion in it? What is it, go back to Andy's thing, what is it to have a mindfulness that has much less, um, this pain is not me or mine. It has much less me or mine, much less identification. What is it to have a mindfulness that has much, l- much less, this is a real thing, or much less uh, time sense in it? These are all factors um, or yeah, factors uh, in the real sense of the world, they, they, they do stuff, from the Latin to, to, to factors. Um, so it, it's they do stuff, and we want to realize that, and the only way we can really realize that is by g- actually getting skilled, learning the art of playing with this. It's really, really subtle. And you start to realize, when I bring this kind of attention, let's say with no aversion, the pain will 
decrease. When I bring that kind of attention, let's say with more aversion, it will increase, etc. And and all these other things. And they equate as playing with this equates as what I'm gonna call insight ways of looking. And I start to get really interested in how does the way of looking affect the perception. In this case we're talking about pain, but it could be anything. Um and that's the whole road in, in, in my view, that's the whole road of insight meditation. And I, I start learning about playing with perception and its effects on the perception of anything, the dependent arising of perception. And that has to do with emptiness. I'll go into this when I talk about it more. Um, meaning this pain does not exist as a, a thing unto itself. It's dependent on how I look at it. When I say how I look at it, or way of looking, I mean how I relate to it. Everything that's involved in my sensing of it. This way of looking is just a shorthand for what's in my sensing of it. My conception of self, of it, of reality, of materiality, of time, of yeah, and also my relationship with it. A little bit push away, a little bit, I need to hang on to this because it's an important whatever. All that's part of the way of looking, and the art is to really start exploring all that and really playing with it, and and eventually coming to the conclusion: this thing, and that thing, and that thing, and that thing, and that thing, and this thing, and that thing. Everything, everything, no thing exists independently of a way of looking. It's not anything by itself, and that's what emptiness means. A thing, everything is empty of independent existence, in of, of an existence inherently independent of the way of being looked at in the moment. Does that make sense? So um, there's, there's, a, there's a lot here. It, at the moment it sounds like what you're bringing is a skillful attention and it's disappearing. Now what I'm, what I'm adding to that is fantastic and that little discovery there should pique your interest as it is and, and there's a huge gorgeous avenue of um, insight exploration that takes you to, to the most profound insights if you if you want to follow it and explore all that. But in the context of jhana retreat, should I not be no, doing that? No, in the context of jhana retreat, so then you've still got these different options. You've still got that. Um, we could we could say wh- which, what order do we choose them in? So here's this pain. First thing is um, maybe don't, don't focus on it. Just focus on the, on the pleasantness. So that's my first choice in the context of jhana retreat. I'm still, as I said, learning about dependent arising there if the pain disappears. Yeah? But if that doesn't work in this context, if that doesn't work, then I can bring the attention to the difficult. And I can actually bring the attention, so if one you're not, but if, actually you are, you're doing the metta as your base practice, right? So For the most part, yeah. Okay, so then I can bring my attention to the difficult and I can work with it in two different ways. One is, and we mentioned this already, what if I make that very difficult, that, that very difficulty, that, that unpleasantness, that stuckness or whatever it is, I make that the center of the metta. So then in a way, I'm, I'm, again, if we talk in terms of attention, I'm bringing a certain kind of attention to it. I'm looking at it in a certain way. There's a certain way of looking, which let's just imagine that that's where the metta is coming from also involves the imagination, yeah? That, that would be like a second choice way of working. But a third choice in this context, in other contexts it would be the first choice way of working, but in this context, um, you bring the attention to it, and, uh, and, but you take care of what's wrapped up in that atten- attention in terms of pers- 
primarily in terms of aversion and identification, but there are lots of other possibilities. And as we get deeper in this whole insight exploration, you also get much wider in terms of how many possibilities there are, and also the power of different ways of looking. So that, for example, for does that make sense enough to the three? The three? Yeah. Yeah. So just to finish then, the, the you know, go back to what Andy said, the, um, to view something as not me, not mine. This pain is not me or mine. I mean, the conventional view is, yeah, well, it's happening in my shoulder or whatever it is. Um, so automatically, without thinking about it, we, we, we identify with it, it's me or mine. To bring in a view and actually practice this subtle view, it's not a philosophy, it's a subtle, subtle, subtly woven in to the attention. Or you could say what we're doing is subtly taking out the habitual subtle me mine. You understand? You're just taking that. Rather than adding something, you're actually taking something out. Does that make sense? You're, ta you're taking it out rather than putting something in. Yes? Um, so that's, then you start to realize, wow, that's really powerful. Then there's a whole other, as you develop this more and more, there's a whole other um, kind of more powerful ways of looking. So to, to get to the point where you, you're sensing this pain and you're sensing it, you, and woven into the looking, into the sensing is, it's not real, it's empty. It doesn't exist independently. That's an even more powerful. So that does something even more powerful, or rather it works even more powerfully to unfabricate. Um, again, you could put that, flip it around in the negative. Actually, it looks like you're doing something extra. And people say, oh, well, I don't like doing in meditation. I don't like doing. I want to just be. Well, we're doing plenty all the time with this unconscious, habitual me, mine, me, mine, or it's real. Now, I don't walk around thinking and obsessing, actually I do, but um, th uh, most people don't walk around thinking and obsessing, it, it, it's, a real, it's a real knee, it's a real pain or whatever. There's just automatically, subconsciously, non-verbally woven into the way of looking 99,999 times out of 100,000 um, of views of me, mine, not verbal, not conscious, and also views of this is a real thing. It's a real thing. And so we're not really, at first, of course, when you do these practices, it feels like you're doing something. Oh, now I have to remember, me, mine, me, mine. What a lot of work. I do this over and over. Um, or not real, not real, empty, etc. And there's different variations of that. But actually what you're doing is you're, you're taking away in that moment, in those moments, a doing that has just become so habitual and is so unconscious that you don't even recognize it's a doing. You understand? So you can view that as well as a as a kind of a less doing. Yeah. So when Bahia, who knows the story of Bahia and the Buddha? Monarchy, surely you know the story of Bahia. Yeah. Um in the scene, just the scene. What does it mean? What's the Buddha getting at? It's bare attention, right? In the scene, just the scene. You could read it that way. You could read it in the scene, just the scene. Let's see what else. Let's investigate what else we're adding to the scene. S-E-E-N, not S-C-E-E. 
what else we're adding to the scene? Habitually, unconsciously, through avidya, through ignorance, that we don't even realize, and in the scene, just the scene, let's start taking those things away. See what happens. And that's why the Bahia Sutta ends with a description of uh, the cessation of consciousness and perception, of the unfabricated, the transcendent. There's no, there's no air, earth, fire, water, no sun, no moon, no, no nothing. There's no form, no perception there. If it meant just bare attention, he's given Bahia this instruction of bare attention. Bahia's gone and done his bare attention practice and then what should Bahia end up with? He would end up with some kind of um, vivid sense of this moment and its pristine sort of uh, reality. That's what you get from bare attention practice. But if you actually think about it, in the scene just the scene, maybe hidden in there is a teaching about what else is there. Can we, can we, can we remove those factors and then see what you get? And what will happen is all these factors are fabricators. Every time, to just say in different words what I said before, every time we're sensing something with an unconscious me mind or an unconscious sense of its reality, it's fabricating that thing. Yeah? Start taking out those, and, th and there's lots of hidden ones, even the belief in a present moment. It's hidden in the conception of time. There's a past, there's a future, there's a present. It's so so everyday woven in, no one's walking around it's like, is it a present moment? It's not, it's not at that level. Start taking these things away, what's going to happen? You're going to end up unfabricating, 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 end up in the place that's at the end of the Bahia Sutta, which is know this, know that, disappearance of everything. That's why Bahia became an Arahant. It's not because he... Anyway. Um, do you understand? So again, how we can read something or hear something a hundred times. I don't know how many, how many times have you heard about the Bahia Sutta or read about it? Ma ma many, yeah, it's very common. Um, and, we, and we just read and hear and, and we're just thinking with the same old, or reading and hearing, listening with the same old fabrication, same old view, same old bo box, and it filters out any, any pulse. Actually, maybe, you know, I'm not insist, I don't, I don't mind, but maybe there's a whole other level here. And that actually makes sense of the two parts of the Bahia Sutta, because otherwise they're very strange. And it's an, it's an Udana Sutta. Udana means an inspired utterance. And the inspired utterance in that Sutta is not the in the scene, just the scene, which is what, what you often hear in the teachings, as if that's, that's the thing, that's the golden piece, in the scene, just the scene, as an instruction for bare attention. The inspired utterance is actually at the end when the Buddha s describes the describes the uh, unfabricated, the cessation. If you take it, the whole thing as meaning one thing. It's a very terse instruction. If you take it as meaning one thing, it just it just totally disconnects the two parts of the sutta. They just don't make any sense together. They don't belong together, and the udana has gone. The inspired utterance has gone, and it's significant. That's why you hardly ever hear it mentioned in the context of the Bahia Sutta. You understand? I'm gonna. Um, uh, but anyway, the principle is is really there's a way of understanding. There's a way of understanding uh, what insight meditation is or can be. There's a way of framing what insight meditation is that 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 just keeps opening up deeper and deeper into this territory of emptiness and dependent arising. Um, 
and I, I would like to talk about. I've obviously talked about it already a bit, but um, but you know that's really also understanding what attention is like and, and things like that, and understanding these kinds of experiences that you're describing, and that's so so important. You know, so so um, potentially profoundly fruitful. You know. Andrew, is it? I don't know what time my interviews are, and I am not sure. Does anyone know? Yeah. So, does it, do you have a sense it will be a quick one, Andrew, or are you not sure? <laughs> it wouldn't be a quick one. Should we save it for another time and put you first on the? Uh, well, 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 why don't you take the mic? Um, <coughs> Enjoyed that, Robert. I wonder if you could do the same thing for the uh, Satipatthana Sutta and Anapatthana Sutta as well, the Mindfulness <laughs> Suttas. Is there a way that you could? I can't quite. Can you put the mic uh, right on your? <coughs> yeah. So I really enjoyed that, Robert. I wonder if you could do the same thing with the Mindfulness Sutta, the Satipatthana or the Anapatthana Sutta. Whether, whether within them you can also find clues to deeper insight. I, th- I think and, so. And yeah. maybe also. Um, the jhanas in there somewhere. I don't know. The jhanas in the Satipatthana Sutta. Yeah. Um, I'll just say one thing about the Satipatthana Sutta, um, or one clue in the Satipatthana Sutta, if that's okay for now, and then maybe we'll pick up the rest of it another time. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, who knows the refrain in the Satipatthana Sutta? You mean there's like the chorus? What does it say? Does anyone remember? Yeah. So, um, so it says something like, um, you know, it goes through each foundation a, a description of what you pay attention to, and then there's a refrain after each one, and part of the refrain says. Um, I can't remember the the words as it usually gets translated, but something like um, uh, mindful of uh, or attending to arise. Do you remember attending to arising and ceasing or something like that? Attending to arising and ceasing or uh, something with regard to Vedana or with regard to mind states or whatever like that. Um, And of course we read that and we think, oh, it's an instruction about Anicca, impermanence. But the Pali word is actually samudaya. And that word means, um, it's the same word that the Buddha uses in relation to dependent arising and the teaching of dependent arising and how suffering arises. So when he presents a Four Noble Truths, dukkha is something that samudayas, it it arises together. Um, And uh, the actual, and I can't remember what the Pali is, but something like, Pay attention to origination factors and dissolution factors, factors of arising and factors of ceasing. So to me, the, it's possible, one could interpret that, that refrain as saying, pay attention not just the fact that things arise and cease, but how they arise and cease. So coming back to um, Jason's question, it's like, okay, here's, here's a pain and... Um, it arises and ceases. Okay, great. That's a really good, 
you know, it's good to, to realize that pain is impermanent and I can take that practice and I can develop it and notice more and more impermanence. Or I could start getting interested in, in what we've been talking about, the fact that when, when there's this kind of attention, a pain intensifies or arises more. When there's that kind of attention, it, it fades. It, it gets fabricated more, fabricated less. And I start, I'm interested in the origination and dissolution factors of Vedana. Does that make sense? In there's there's other suttas and they're kind of repeated. And I, I can't remember where 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 the Buddha says, um, you know, how do you how do you move from this level of awakening? I think it's to the final level of awakening. And and the Buddha says a practitioner should train themselves to pay attention to the aggregates, vedana and and perception and body and, and all the rest of it, mental formations, consciousness. And, it, and the usual English translation is, is something like, um, s- and see, and pay attention, um, such is its disappearance, such is its arising, such is its disappearance. Um, but I think the, the emphasis there is on the such, in other words, how. How is it arising? How is it disappearing? Otherwise it's just a teaching on, on impermanence rather than a teaching on this whole business of the, the, the dependent arising of perception. Is this making sense? Yeah. But, you know, this is, this is m- what I tend to emphasize as being wh- I feel is the more interesting, profound, um, liberating, and sort of coherent view. And whether it's what the Buddha meant, and da-da, you know, it's like I'm not particularly interested in that, but um, it's... It's the it's what I tend to teach. Now, of course, like I said, noticing impermanence is important. Um, just relatively speaking, the liberative power and the kind of radicality—sorry, Boaz—the radicality of of what gets uncovered is um, is of a whole different order. Because to say that everything's impermanent is it's okay. You could say it's radical, but but to say that nothing really exists at all as anything is a whole other level of to me, radicality. It's a whole other level of, whoa, we've just gone to a whole other, you know, shift in our reality view. Yeah. So these are the, this is, again, p- people who uh, will know that's what I tend to emphasize. But the impermanence thing is really important too and, and fruitful, you know. Anyway. Um, is that okay for now? Yeah? Okay. I think, um, I think we're definitely going to need to end. So why don't we have a bit of quiet together?
Thank you, everybody. And um, time, time for tea. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.